0: WandaVision is gonna take the world by storm. It's gonna be the start of a new streaming revolution, a chance to get ahead of the competition, we can't let Netflix and HBO Max have all the fun, we led the industry with the way we intertwined our movies into a cinematic universe, let's do it again, in this new and uncharted space. I'm sure that a pitch of this sort was made to some head honcho at Disney. Hell. They might have even made it to Bob Iger himself. It's entirely possible. The truth is, it seems like Disney NEEDS WandaVision work. Because once again, boys and girls, the future of the MCU is at stake. And this time, it has nothing to do with woke politics or weak sauce superheroes, but the state of the real world as a whole. So let's jump into this WandaVision first impressions episode, and answer these three questions. What kind of first impression does WandaVision have on us, as the viewers? What does it mean for the future of the MCU as a whole, are they gonna keep making movies? Are we getting everything through Disney Plus? What sort of outfits can we convince Elizabeth Olsen to wear through the show's run? I think that if we can answer all these questions, then we can get to the answer of the most important question. Will WandaVision be worth it? Hello, my freaky darlings, and welcome back. Well, it's more like, hey, he's finally producing another episode, and I do apologize about that. It's fairly easy, though time-consuming, to jot a few notes down, write a script, record, edit, and publish an episode when you're unemployed, and I simply assumed that once I got back to work, I would simply prioritize the podcast over all my other pursuits, and we didn't do that. It's a one-man show, people, and sometimes this one man doesn't want to write because he's lazy. I should have been lazy for the last three months. Too many episodes, too many shows, too many movies have come out, and I know that my opinion is desperately needed on such matters. <laughs> You're right. I do believe that from now on, we're going to be a little bit more regular about all this. Episodes will still be published on Mondays, maybe Sundays if I'm feeling generous. And remember that listening to us is the best way that you can support this show. Although you don't have to do what a strange man on the internet tells you to do, just a friendly reminder. Right, the whole point of this business is WandaVision. So with that out of the way, let's press on. WandaVision is being released at a very weird place in our cultural history. The way that we are consuming new media has radically, fundamentally changed. There are no more grand releases, no more movie premieres. There haven't been any for a while. And even when the evils of COVID-19 are finally defeated, and we can go outside again without the masks and social distancing, the landscape will be drastically different. I wonder how many, if any, movie theaters will have survived all of this. And how many of them will be willing to play ball after all this is over? The battlegrounds have changed, but the fight remains the same. Late last year, my sister was binge-watching The Office for the umpteen time, as so many of you people did when they found out that Netflix would be losing the rights to broadcast The Office. Instead, NBC Universal would now host its most successful show since Seinfeld on their own streaming platform, Peacock. I'm sure once the rights to 30 Rock expired... It will also move to Peacock, not that anyone cares about 30 Rock. Personally I think it's better than The Office, but let's not open that can of worms just yet. It's in this new landscape where WandaVision and the rest of the MCU now reside. There's no more movies for the foreseeable future, and a future most uncertain after Spider-Man Far From Home kickstarted Phase 4 of the MCU. The roadmap that was presented to the fans before all of this madness began was dubious. Two. Thor 4, but Jane is Thor, even though Natalie Portman wasn't a fan of the movies in general, a movie that was just the female avengers, what was it called, A-Team, A-Rock, was it called? Hold on let me look it up, A-Force, yeah. All those announcements were a little concerning, no one wants politics in our films, we want to escape the real world and spend time in another one of our choosing. We all saw what happened to the Star Wars franchise as a result of these agendas taking center stage as opposed to the story, but that's being rectified too. That's a podcast for another day. If the future wars will be fought on the interwebs, and if streaming services will now reign supreme, it's no longer a question of how movies perform at the box office, it now becomes a question of how do we get them to come to us, how do we make them stay, and how do we stay relevant. That is the question that all streaming services face. And the race is on. It's in this frantic scramble for dominance that division finds itself in, and it must play a critical role in answering the questions above. Disney Plus is still relatively new, and while it's the biggest threat to Netflix, it has to survive for now, because the future is not written in stone. Shows like The Mandalorian, Aksoka, and The Book of Boba Fett will carry this service, especially when the latter arrive. But in the meantime, Besides The Mandalorian, there's nothing too attractive about the service. Nothing that really makes it stand out. Netflix and Hulu still seem like the better choice. If you crave the nostalgia that Disney shows and films provide, I just don't believe that's enough to compete against the other services, especially when some of them can also hit those nostalgic cravings that a lot of us seem to consume from time to time. It's not just holding on to viewers and fighting in the streaming wars. And helping Disney Plus hold its own, one division could be the future of the MCU as a whole. And all of this depends on where the TV show goes and why. Story-wise, I don't want to believe that the MCU's best years are behind it. The X-Men, the Fantastic Four, the Celestials. There's still a lot of good stories that have yet to be told in the Marvel Universe. Stories that deserve their due diligence. And if anyone can pull it off, it's Kevin Feige and his bunch. Before, I mentioned Spider Man Far From Home, and the truth is, I wasn't the biggest fan of that movie, and where it left the MCU as a whole. The heroes of the past are long gone, and now the new generation must take their place. The previous Spider Man movie didn't really advance the overall plot too much. It was a personal story, and Far From Home felt like much of the same. It was their first opportunity to show all the repercussions of the snap, and instead, it focused on Peter getting tricked by a disgruntled Stark employee while at the same time, trying to get closer to Michelle Jones, cause I'm not gonna call her MJ. I, I refuse. Having said that, WandaVision can rectify this problem. It can spark an interest in the minds of all those fans, myself included, that think that the MCU is done, and that they can't top the amazing storyline they built over the last 10 years. Is it unfair to place such expectations on a show that has 30-minute episodes? Yeah, maybe. But that's the price of success, and the MCU has had plenty of that in the last couple of years. It's entirely possible that we return to the world we used to know, and that movie releases become the norm again, with hundreds of thousands of people making the mad dash to their local cinemas. I like to think that it's possible, but as I've said earlier, I wonder how many theaters will survive and make it out on the other side. There are plenty of studios that are hedging their bets, and looking to the streaming world as a solution to their current financial woes, Warner Bros. is releasing all of their movies on HBO Max, a service I'll probably end up having to subscribe to if only to watch Godzilla vs. Kong. Go Godzilla! I'm not a fan of Kong. I know all of you are, but I'm not. I like Godzilla. In any case, it's entirely possible that we might get Black Panther 2 or Doctor Strange 2 released entirely on Disney Plus, as long as they don't do what they did with Milan. I believe it's entirely possible. Hmm, I use that phrase twice. It doesn't matter. I believe it's possible that they can achieve success with this tragedy in the streaming wars. One division offers so much potential. Because of what they can do with the storyline. The idea of the multiverse has already been teased in Spider Man Far From Home. Ah <sighs> okay. So that was one good thing that movie did anyway. While it may have been a lie that Mysterio was from an alternate Earth, the fact is, it was mentioned. And it's possible that WandaVision decides to explore the multiverse, but I think we can address this a little later. Instead of talking about what WandaVision could do for the MCU, let's talk about whether the investment, as it stands right now at three episodes, is worth it. The first episode of WandaVision is called Film Before a Live Audience, and with that, let's begin. Okay, before we actually begin, I'm gonna try to keep spoilers to a minimum, but I cannot guarantee that I won't suddenly just come out and spoil it for you, especially since what I want to do is just give you my general first impressions of the show. And I can't do that and keep it entirely spoiler free, well maybe I could do that, but I'm not going to. Okay, so now let's begin. If you've had the opportunity to watch the trailer for the series. You can see that the directors, showrunners, they want to fashion the show after different periods in TV history, and the first two episodes have a very 1950s, 1960s feel to them. We see Wanda and Vision arrive as newlyweds to a small town where nothing of note really happens, and they now have to adjust to a new lifestyle, and all they want to do is fit in. Hilarity is supposed to ensue. At first glance, I thought that they were trying to go for a I Love Lucy feel to the show. But as the episode went on, and before I cover any details, it wasn't I Love Lucy that it was trying to go for, but instead, it's definitely Bewitched. Did any of you get the opportunity to even watch Bewitched? It's entirely possible, I gotta stop using that one. Last time, it's possible that you did, that you had a parent or or a grandparent that did watch this show back when they were airing it. Or maybe you saw reruns in the background of the household where you grew up in. It's a safe bet to say that most of us didn't. Anyone my age is really nostalgic for the 90s, the late 80s. Anyone older can remember shows from the 70s, late 60s. Okay, so when did Bewitch start and why are we even talking about it? Okay, so Bewitch started in 1964 and ended in 1972. It was filmed in both black and white in its earlier seasons and in color by the end of the series. I thought Bewitch was made as a response to I Dream of Genie, but lo and behold, it's actually the other way around. It was NBC's response to ABC's success with Bewitch. Learn something new every day. So why even bring it up? Well I guess it's because the reference only works if the audience understand it. If the audience understands it. A simple example, if you watch Spaceballs but have never seen Star Wars, the film parody is kind of lost on you. And I guess the same can be said about these homages to a certain point. I think the first episode is a lot better if you know what they're doing and why. And as a result, you can appreciate all the little details that they added to enhance the atmosphere of the episode. I think enough of us know and understand the homages, but again, The details are kinda lost of us. Oh, and on a personal note, I never saw Bewitched, but growing up, I enjoyed I Dream of Jeannie a bit too much. I think it's a little sad if you can't understand any of the references at all, because then the episode is forced to rely on the strength of the story, and it doesn't hit you with the same effect. Let's talk about that. The episode starts with Wanda and Vision arriving at their new home, and having to deal with their pesky neighbor Agnes. Agnes? Acnes? is that how you say that? Doesn't matter. She's hilarious. More on her later. Our heroes are trying to lead normal lives, and we see that as Vision goes off to work, he sees a heart on their calendar. The couple exchange some witty banter, and we see him change into a human and go off to work. At this point, I noticed a few things about this first episode. First and foremost, they're only 30 minutes long. It sort of makes sense to make them short so that the mystery the atmosphere of the show stays intact, and that it stays true to the homage they're honoring. I can't really see any other reason, but if you know, drop us a line. Let us know. The other little tidbit I noticed right away was the accents. Very posh posh, very 1960s, and some of you may love that, some of you may find yourselves a bit annoyed by the whole thing, I I liked it. I will say this though, something that just popped in my head, Besides I Love Lucy, was there another sitcom from that time where they didn't talk that way? It's very spunky, very upbeat, bright, positive, cause that's the feel they always wanted to carry. It's not like I Love Lucy was somber and serious, but everyone, at the very least, they sounded natural, exaggerated, but but natural, especially Desi Arnaz. It's the funniest thing, I Love Lucy is from the 1950s, but they don't sound that way maybe the show is just playing into the stereotype, it's from this time, and it's supposed to sound this way, who knows. Oh, Also, there's a laugh track, it's there, I don't like them, but it has to be there. The show can't be a love letter to the 1960s without it. There is something that they could have added to make the show feel even more genuine, and they didn't do it. Go back and watch those old clips, the reruns on TV and Pluto and the like, and you'll notice the analog haze. There's a certain fuzziness to the way everything looks, and I guess that's just a product of age and how better cameras and TVs got as we moved along. Wanda Vision doesn't look like. It. And that's what gives it away. It's not that they couldn't replicate the effect. I think they did it deliberately. Ah, but more on that later. Wanda and Vision both discuss what the heart on the calendar could be. Wanda talks over with Agnes. We see Vision at the office filling out reports and talking about it with his co workers. They both make assumptions as to how to proceed. Hilarity ensues. And yeah, I mean, it's a trope. Misunderstandings built upon misunderstandings. And until very recently, it was a writing staple of most sitcoms. It's a bit harder to do nowadays because a lot of those misunderstandings involve not being able to reach your friends. And that's not really a thing anymore. Anywho, Vision's boss shows up to dinner and is surprised by Wanda. And all I gotta say is, damn, Wanda! That's literally what I have written down on my notes. That and how many times am I gonna say that as the show goes on? I mean, it's a good outfit. That's all I'm really gonna say about that. Watch the first episode to understand the context. Now, Wanda and Vision have to give them food. Oh, nothing less than a full three-course meal will do, of course. Ah, Agnes. Shows up to the rescue with ingredients and recipe cards. I like how she wouldn't leave, that was pretty funny too. That made me laugh. At this point, the show is just leaning heavily into Bewitch, which is fine I guess. Plates and food are floating all over the place. Despite all this madness, they, they don't get found out. Vision does his best to entertain his guests with a song. And finally after all is said and done, the hearts do get their meal, they sit down but then they don't really eat, besides the fact that having breakfast for dinner is a novelty item for them, the meal is uneventful, until Mr. Hart starts to choke, it's at this point that the facade of the show starts to break Mrs. Hart doesn't seem at all concerned with her choking husband, she just repeats the same phrase to him over and over again, of course I go to my notes and it's not there, I didn't write it down. But she wouldn't stop repeating it. And her face doesn't waver in the slightest bit. I wonder what that's all about. Wanda begs Vision to save Mr. Hart by using his powers, and he does. He faces his hand inside his throat and pulls out the obstruction. It's not in my notes, but I'm wondering why Vision didn't use the Heimlich maneuver. When was that invented, by the way? In any case, Mr. Hart is grateful. They leave, and Mr. Hart tells Vision that he can get far in the company, and practically gives him a promotion on the spot. Wanda and Vision share a moment, and they live happily ever after. At least they would if this was the 1960s and not a TV show on Disney Before we move on to the next episode, I wanted to share with you all, y'all. I wanted to share with y'all a few more details that don't really fit in anywhere, but they were of note. First and foremost, there's five whole minutes of credits, but no marble after credit scene. That was kind of odd. There was a commercial. The commercial is a part of the show. It's about toasters made by Stark Industries. I ain't gonna lie. That was a nice touch. Mrs. Hart was played by Deborah Jo Rupp, who just plays Kitty and everything she does. And good for her. She was perfect for the role. She sold it. I liked it. Good job, Disney. Vision says, What are you wearing? <laughs> that part was hilarious. And then he repeats it. He's like, What are you wearing? <laughs> and why not? The part where Vision was singing is the only part of the whole episode that felt really well, I wrote forced. But I don't think that's the right word for it. It's still something you would seem bewitched or I love Lucy. I think I saw that in I Dream of a Genie Wants too, but I don't really remember too much about that show as a whole. Well other than Barbara Eaton. The next episode is titled Don't Touch That Dial and it's still very much in line with the whole 1960s feel. It's still in black and white and it's still only 30 minutes long. I wonder if that's going to change as the show goes on or if it's just gonna stay with that 30 minute runtime. We see Wanda and Vision sleep in separate beds, just like Lucy and Ricky and I Love Lucy, and almost immediately after something spooks the two of them. Wanda pushes the beds together, thank you for pushing the beds together, I always hated to see that and I Love Lucy. I was pretty young when I started to watch that show, but I still understood the reasons why they did it and it was annoying. I mean Lucy and Ricky had a baby, they didn't get that done by sleeping in separate beds, you dig? In any case, we get a proper opening this time. And hey, more Bewitched, but with a theme song that's very bossa nova, it's It definitely reminds me a bit more of I Dream of Genie*. We see Vision performing a magic trick, using his powers to achieve the illusion. Wanda is his assistant and her outfit, compared to the first episode, is surprisingly modern. I wonder if this is like a clue. Cause by this point we know that something is amiss, but we don't know what exactly. Vision wonders about the security of the fundraiser, and Wanda joins the rest of the ladies in the planning committee. Okay, before I get ahead of myself, there is something else that happens that also alludes to the fact that something is amiss. Making a point to be somewhat spoiler-free, all I can say is that it involves color. Agni, Agni, Agnes, I'ma leave that in, Agnes stands out as the fast-talking, quick witted funny friend, and it's totally working, even if she's still using the 1960s tone. Dottie is the head of the planning committee, and apparently someone with a lot of power in this community. At least that's the impression we get from how scared some of the other ladies act around her. At the same time, Vision is actually fitting in with the other guys. He's telling jokes, he's making friends, and he accepts a piece of gum, which he accidentally swallows. Back with Wanda, She's making friends with Geraldine, who's just as nervous as she is, and Wanda is not making a great impression with Dottie, to the point where Dottie is very suspicious of who Wanda is and where she came from, and asks her, and thus, who are you? It's a moment of great tension, and it's played expertly for a show that has been mostly ripping off Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie, it's followed by an even better moment that really just Breaks the world around her, if only momentarily. But I'm gonna save that. Let's talk about that later. It's time for another commercial, this time from Hydra. Was it soap? I can't remember. I saw the Hydra logo and I liked the callback. I hope these commercials get some sort of payoff later. Like maybe they're using them to keep Wanda and Vision brainwashed, like with subliminal messages or something. I don't know. That's just a guess. The time has come for the fundraiser. And the whole town is participating, as they usually do in these kind of functions. It's almost time for Wanda and Vision to do their act, but Vision is not here. Wanda's already in costume, and I guess we're just gonna dress up Elizabeth Olson in the best outfits we can get away with at this point. Yes, I know the story calls for it, but it's still something noteworthy. And I'm all for it. Back to the episode. Vision shows up and he's a little tipsy. It seems like that gum really messed up the works. Literally, I like the little animation they add. One that tells Vision about Dottie, but man, he's out of it. And now the time has come for them to perform their magical act. Magical? Why did I? I didn't even write magical. I gotta say, while I watched the first episode with reservation, I was more invested in this second episode. It's not that the story of the first episode wasn't engaging, but it's a bit outdated by this point. And yes, that's kind of the whole point of the story. It's supposed to be like that, but it seems like they recognize this and decide to go in a different direction with the second episode, splitting the two up and giving us a better insight into the world at large and all the side characters that inhabit this small town. Vision begins to perform the acts using his abilities, and it it wows the audience, with Wanda having to comically reveal to them just how they did it. Just not arouse suspicion. Again, this part of the episode is funny. Not 1960s laugh track funny, but actually funny. Paul Bettany really sells his predicament and Wanda wins the crowd over while at the same time having to deal with the intoxicated Vision as best as she can and all of that in that outfit. The fundraiser slash talent show is a smashing success, and the crowd is not the wiser for it. Wanda and Vision arrive at their home and share a tender embrace, having successfully gotten through another day with their secret identities still intact. Suddenly we see Wanda get bigger. Okay, so she's pregnant, she's just pregnant now, and we don't know how or why. Then we see how this episode ends, and again, let's not spoil it just yet, let's just save all those. Episode 2 ends, we see the intricate end sequence, and I wonder if all the screens that we see refer to alternate dimensions or parallel universes. It's an idea that popped in my head that refuses to go away, and let's see if there's any weight to it. The times have now changed, and the episode starts with I guess you can choose practically any TV sitcom from the 1970s and it would work. But he's company, who's the boss? Um, oh, help me out guys. The 70s had some decent shows, didn't it? I've been trying to rack my brain thinking of some, and with the exemption of Sanford and Son, I can't think of any. In any case, the first thing that popped in my head as I was watching the intro in the first 5 minutes of it was the Brady Bunch. I don't know why, and I don't know if anyone else also got that vibe. I've never seen the Brady Bunch, never been inclined to do so, and I'm not going to start now. To all the fans out there, I'm sure that it was a great show, at the very least it was entertaining, but it's not something I grew up with, and it's not something I'll ever be interested in watching in the future. I had to look it up just to see if that was the actual 70s, and not something from the 80s or somewhere else. The Brady Bunch started in the late 60s and ran till 1974, who would have thought? Anyway, the third episode is called Now In Color, and true to its word and feel, it's Now In Color, with a palette that resembles early 1970s TV. As the third episode started, I noticed that all these episodes have started with the now classic Marvel intro that pays tribute to the foundations and tramps of the Marvel brand in its cinematic universe. I hadn't heard that sound in a while, and it's been a while since I revisited any Marvel movie of late. So that was kind of nice. We see them all in 1970s attire, and again, Elizabeth Olsen just kills it in anything they dress her in. We see one of Vision's friends cutting into the concrete outside with a chainsaw that he was using to trim the hedges, why did he go outside again? I wish I would have written that down, but I didn't. What I did write down is the fact that Wanda and Vision can't decide what to call their baby when it gets here. And it's something they have to decide fast cause that baby's coming fast, she's already showing, Uh, she's having contractions now, and her powers are messing with the appliances, and oh yeah for some reason it's raining inside the house, I originally forgot to add this a little detail but it was of note, and by that I mean I made a note saying it's raining inside the house and so that's why I'm mentioning it. Also there was something during this section that made me laugh, I wrote it down, I mean I wrote something to help me remember the joke. But I can't remember the joke. Oh well. At some point during all this, we get another commercial loaded with winks to the established MCU. Back to the show. Like I said before, she's having contractions. They don't know what to do anymore, and the time for conjectures, speculations, is now over. They're both beginning to suspect that they're not supposed to be here, wherever here is. It's at this point that the whole thing just stops. When I say it stops, I mean it literally stops. There's some sort of skip, and now it's replaying. Again. That baby's coming out now. But is it before that or after that that Geraldine shows up and announced to talk to Wanda? Okay, I might have messed up the order a little bit, but it doesn't matter. We get a sequence where a literal stork is walking behind Geraldine, and it's supposed to be funny. I say it's supposed to be because it wasn't. The stork leaves, and the whole house goes crazy, and one that gives birth inside their home before Vision could come back with a doctor. Did I say that Vision left to go get a doctor and left her on her own while she was having contractions? No? Uh, My mistake, but again, it ultimately doesn't matter. Also it's twins she gives birth to, as the other baby comes out immediately as well, to the shock and delight of everyone present. Small towns are hard to escape, says the doctor as he makes his way out of their home, and, and I wonder who's he saying it to. He leaves and we see Vision eye all his neighbors who are already gossiping about the fact that Wanda and Vision just had a baby. Uh babies plural. Wanda mentions to Geraldine that she herself is a twin, and that a long time ago she had a twin brother. Geraldine casually mentions that he was the one who was killed by Ultron, and this feels wrong. And we see it in the way that Wanda reacts, like she can't remember the fight against Sultron, but at the same time, knows that it happened, and that's how her brother died. Wanda's original accent starts to come back, and she points out the necklace that Geraldine is wearing. Outside, when Vision questions the neighbor who are still just loitering, because that's what they're really doing, it almost seems like they're gonna tell him the truth, but they don't. All of this, as all of this is happening, the screen ratio changes from four by three to sixteen by nine, and then the episode ends, but not without another break in the world. And we're now pretty sure that it's not real. But again, let's just save it. Let's just save it from. And that's the first three episodes of WandaVision, more or less. I went with a general outline of what took place in the episodes but decided to be vague about the little details, the moments that really mattered. I originally had this episode as scheduled to come out before episode 4, but life and such got in the way. To be honest with you, I'd forgotten how long it takes to produce a script, but that doesn't matter. I can't really tell you what to expect from episode 4, because I haven't seen it yet. But I imagine, at least I hope, that it's a continuation of how episode 3 ended, and we get some explanation for what is going on. Starting with the fact that Vision is alive, how the heck did that happen? Why are Wanda and Vision here? Does all of this take place before or after the snap? So many questions, and I'm sure we'll get the answers to most of them. I hope. I'm hoping. Okay, so earlier on I said that I would do my best to not spoil the big events that take place over the course of the first three episodes, and I think that we've been mostly successful with that. and Mostly. The outlines that I laid out are uneventful, it's not information you couldn't have gotten from the show description, so I see it as an absolute win that I got this far without major spoilers. Having said that, it's time to give you some major spoilers. If you'd rather experience all of it for yourself, you can stop listening now, go about your business, thanks for stopping by, and my overall consensus, is, ugh, I leave that in. My overall consensus of the show as it stands right now is that it's worth your time. If only to answer the questions I laid out above, if only to answer the questions I laid out above, I wasn't super excited to see a TV show when Marvel's been doing movies, but it's a change of pace and a nice opportunity to play some more with established characters. No need for character development, no need for world building. That's all pretty much done. It's a nice carte blanche for them to do whatever they want, so let's see where it goes, okay, so first and foremost, earlier on. I said that the first two episodes have a 1960s feel to it. Music, setting, and feel. And well, that's mostly true. Mostly. One thing they could have done to make the show even more genuine was to add a digital, analog haze. But they didn't. And I said that I think that was done deliberately, and here's why. It's all sharp and clean because it's meant to be an illusion. A dream. It's sharp and clean because it's not really the past. It's a subtle hint that you're not really in a small town like you think you are. I know that most people describe their dreams as fuzzy, vague, and difficult to remember, and difficult to remember, but that's after the fact. If you're in a dream and there's nothing preposterous about what's going on in the dream, and by that I mean no zombies, no Godzilla, no incredibly hot girlfriend that's way out of your league and how did you even get her, then how would you know you're in a dream? If your answer is because at some point you wake up, the Matrix might have something to say about that. And I feel that's where we might be going, but I don't know. I'm just speculating. Okay, back to the first episode. After the shenanigans with the nightgown and the food are over with and done, Mrs. Hart, played by Kitty, because that's how we all know her as, decides to ask Wanda and Vision where exactly they came from, what led them to come here to this small town, and what they used to do before. And that's all pretty standard questions that one would ask people who are just getting to know. The problem is that one that Envision can't answer them. And this fact is genuinely distressing to, to both of them. They know who they are, what they can do, and some elements of their backstory. But the mere fact that they can't remember where they came from raises a significant amount of questions. Why can't they remember the immediate past? Where are they from? Is this even our Wanda and our Vision from the movies? Why don't they know? Why is the fact that they don't know not concerning to Kitty or Mr. Hart at all? Cause you'd think it would be. None of this faces them in the slightest bit, and that's telling, so what does it all mean? Your guess is as good as mine, but it's all I could think of. After Wanda and Vision can't answer the question, Mr. Hart begins to choke and he falls to the floor. He's dying. I mean he's—you he can't breathe and all that kitty could do or say was stop it or something to that nature. I didn't write it down. And the whole thing just seems odd. We see Vision finally uses powers to remove the obstruction and it's just bizarre. She doesn't freak out, doesn't panic, nothing. It's almost like she knows she's not supposed to. And I wonder if there's gonna be a callback to this moment in the show, cause it totally breaks the immersion of the setting. Up to this point, the only odd ducks in the whole thing were Wanda and Vision. However, having Kitty react to this way totally… yeah no that's not right. However, having Kitty react this way totally breaks the immersion. And again all I can think of is, this is like a glitch in the matrix. Like something that's not supposed to happen. In episode 2, we see that something startles Wanda and Vision, and she ends up pushing the bets together. Later on in the episode, again, we hear the same noise, and when Wanda goes outside to see what it was, we get a red helicopter in the bushes. I know the helicopter is red, cause it's the only item on the screen that's same color. And this is not explained. Wanda tries to tell Vision, but he's drunk, he's not coherent, so he doesn't get brought up again. But it's of note. again. I hope we get some sort of payoff from all these little moments cause they definitely deserve an explanation. Episode 2 expands the cast a bit by introducing a large number of neighbors into the mix. We already knew Agnes who wants to be the life of the party whenever possible, but we also see Geraldine and we get Dottie. I know the guys get names too, but I didn't write, but I didn't write them down cause they didn't leave an impression on me. It's Dottie, the one who stands out the most. Dottie has power and influence, and that's not something they just wrote into the script for no reason, I think she's like a game master or an admin, someone who can change who you are or your status in this world, and I'm so hoping to be right on this one, cause it makes so much sense to do it like this, that's not even the thing that stands out. After Dottie and Wanda have their little standoff, we hear a message played out on the radio that calls out to Wanda. Where are you Wanda? Who's doing this to you Wanda? And that's all it is. Again, because Vision is intoxicated, it doesn't go anywhere. Even though she tries to tell him that things are amiss in their small little town. So who's calling for her? Why are they using the radio like that to do it? Is it someone we know? Another member of the Avengers? So many questions. The answer can literally take the show anywhere. And I love the endless possibilities that it raises. Episode 2 ends with them celebrating the fact that they got away with their charade and the town is none the wiser. One they envision embrace and suddenly she's pregnant and showing, I said all this. This might be alluding to TV magic where characters suddenly get less screen time or disappear for a bit before returning, but I don't think it's that at all. For some reason, the two go outside to the street in the middle of the night. And the street, the atmosphere, man, it takes a turn. The next couple of scenes play heavily into the Twilight Zone, and I like that. We see the sewer cover come up, and some guys dressed up in beekeeper suits, they come out from underground, and she's like, nah, nope. And the whole world rewinds like a movie. The scene rewinds, like they're going back in time, to before they go outside, and so they don't go outside and that doesn't take place. Instead, we get the alternate happy ending where everything stays the same. It <laughs> leaves me with so many questions, reinforces my beliefs that this world is not real. Overall, it's a great scene to end the episode on. Episode 3 plays it pretty straight for the most part. If you can call indoor rain, possessed appliances, a magic baby, and the stork. If you can call that straight, then it's pretty straight. I can do that. I wasn't a fan of the stork sequence, but hey, it's what happens at the end, so that's cool. Uh, Wanda launches Geraldine out of the town, and we see that the town limits are surrounded by military tents, and there's a force field around that town, I'm pretty sure that's what that is. Okay, so again, what does it all mean? It wasn't a secret that we speculated that something was odd, and that the town was fake, that was kind of a given, anyone paying attention can see that, but are there more implications to all this? Does episode 4 answer any of these questions, or do we just jump into another period in TV history? Are we getting an 80s show now? I don't know, and I'll find out later, cause I'm not really in a rush to find out, I'll watch episode 4 whenever I can. Earlier on, I mentioned that the concept of parallel universes, alternate dimensions, was something that the MCU alluded to in Spider-Man Far From Home, even if it turned out to be fake. I don't think it was just a nod to the comic book readers, I really do think that their future is exactly this. And that this is the reason why WandaVision is so important to them, it's the key. It's how we get to Fantastic Four, it's how we get to X-Men, to Dark Phoenix. WandaVision could turn out to be a way to access parallel universes. Universes where Captain America and Iron Man are still active, it would give them a way to bring those characters back. If they wanted to. It could be an opportunity to see familiar events play out differently. And hey, that's pretty freaking cool. It would give them a reset button of sorts. To do whatever they want with these characters, it would explain the reason why Vision is alive, even though we all saw him die. Like I said before, if we're not gonna have grand blockbusters in the future, then smaller releases on Disney Plus could be a way for them to stay relevant, for the MCU to continue to grow and expand. And tell even better stories than the Infinity Stone saga. It's all there. Waiting to be taken. Of course, I could totally be wrong. WandaVision could turn out to be a gigantic failure and turn people off from the MCU as a whole. But why be so negative? Do we really need that right now? Let's embrace the endless roads that we can travel upon. And enjoy the ride. I don't know where WandaVision is going. I have an idea, but nothing concrete. And I like that. If you're a hardcore Marvel fan, you're already watching this. You've seen episode 4 and so you know more than me. And good for you. Stay true to who you are. If you're on the fence about this show, give it a shot, plus 3 episodes in the grand scheme of things. If you don't enjoy it, then it's not for you, but hey, at least you gave it a try. I'm not out here to try to dissuade any of you, Not, not with this episode. I wanted to give you guys and girls an honest opinion of how I felt and what I hope takes place on this show as a whole. I don't have grand expectations. I'm not expecting a masterpiece, but it could be. If you stuck around to the end, I sincerely thank you for all the support. It's already been six episodes, and it's been fun. I forgot how much work it is to produce an episode, but the giddy feeling you get once it's out there and and live that's a great feeling, so let's keep doing that. If you want more, listen to our other episodes. In any case, take care of yourselves, my fellow travelers, and beware the wasteland.